evening, Chapel Hill. My name is Julie Hawkins, and I am the pastor of Next Steps. And one of my great joys in life serving here at Chapel Hill is that I get to serve at a church where I get to be near my family. One of the hallmarks of the Pandiani family is that every Sunday night we have family dinner. We gather together with my parents, my grandparents, any of my sisters are, who are in town. We usually add a couple other people into the mix with us. And we gather around the table and we eat and we talk and we laugh and we spend time together. And my family is one of those families we always get along. We never, ever, ever argue. I hear my stepmom laughing uproariously at that. We never argue, ever. That is until someone comes to family dinner with a jar of vegan mayonnaise. And my dad looks at them like they're trying to poison him and says that we are a best foods family. We, we never argue until somebody starts talking about who should win the NBA finals this last year. I tell you that I was right on that one. I was right. The fight that I'm anticipating this week has to do with a golf tournament that I know nothing about because, and I'm going to commit blasphemy here, I don't care that much about golf. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. <laughs> there are a lot of flashpoints in families from cultural issues to social issues to political issues to sports to food. That's true of the families that raised us, and it's true of our church family. There is a lot to argue about, and it seems that we're pretty good at it. The church feels more divided than ever. A recent survey that surveyed people who were leaving the church found that one of the top three reasons cited for leaving the church was that church members fought too much. This last week I was in Seattle and I overheard, yes I was, I was eavesdropping, I overheard a couple on their first date and they were talking, getting to know each other, they're talking about whether or not they were religious and they both were talking about how they used to go to church but now they don't anymore because they felt like people in the church just argued too much. One of them said, my life just feels so much more peaceful now that I don't go to church. Yeah, in the last two years, I can't tell you the number of times that I've heard about somebody leaving their life group or a relationship or the church or a Bible study over some issue that they disagreed on. We're in a sermon series right now that's called One Another's. We're looking at the one another's of the New Testament that show the ways that the church family should treat one another. Because the Christian life, it is more we than me. It's less you, and it's more of a y'all. The Christian life is meant to be lived together. We're not supposed to do things alone. And it's important that we know how to live with one another, how to treat one another. And so this week we're tackling another one, and this one is a tough one. What do we do when we disagree with one another? Because there certainly is a lot to disagree on, isn't there? And wouldn't it be easier if we just surrounded ourselves with people who were just like us? I say no, because I think that would be pretty boring. And it's also not what we see in the New Testament. It's not what we see in Scripture. 
Our text today is from Romans 15, and in it, Paul addresses a disagreement that was happening at the church in Rome. And in these Holy Spirit-inspired words, we are called as a church to accept one another, accept people that we disagree with, so that we may live in unity and bring glory to God. So listen to God's word for us today. It's from Romans 15 verses 4 through 13. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. These things were written in scriptures long ago to teach us. The scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then, All of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ has accepted you, so that God will be given glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, at first glance, our text today, it feels, it feels a little bit warm and fuzzy. It's talking about harmony and unity and hope and encouragement. It's a reminder that we have to look at the surrounding context of Scripture. In the surrounding context of the Scripture, it is a much more challenging word. Our text today is Paul's closing argument in a two-chapter discussion on a disagreement that was happening in the church at Rome. And in it, we see what we should do when the church disagrees. Chapters 14 and 15 of Romans are what I like to call the that's just your opinion section of Romans. Paul, he's looking at what he calls matters of opinion, things that people disagree on. And he's looking at a specific issue that the Roman church was disagreeing on. And he tells them throughout that they're not supposed to fight about these matters of opinion. Instead, he calls them to a very radical act. He says that they're to accept one another. And when we say that word, accept one another, it might feel like it's just put up with one, one another, right? Like allow each other to breathe the same air. But the word for accept, it is much deeper and it is much more challenging. The word here, it can also be translated welcome or receive. It was frequently used in matters of hospitality. So he's saying that it means to accept the brother or sister that you disagree with, with hospitality and kindness. It means that you actually have to love the people who you disagree with, and you have to love them like family. You have to love them in the I'm going to invite you over for family dinner kind of way. But how do we do that? Well, the first thing that we need to do, we need to talk about the type of disagreeing that Paul is talking about. And we need to reframe disagreement through the lens of a gospel perspective. And when we do that, we are able to take those steps towards unity and acceptance. And in that unity, in that acceptance, we are able to give glory to God. So let's start first with what are we talking about? What types of disagreements are going on here? There are doctrines in our faith that are non-negotiables, essentials. For the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul talks about non-negotiable, essential issues in this beautiful, rich theological treatise about how the righteous shall live by faith through in Christ Jesus. 
So before we get started, before we talk about anything else, I want you to hear me say that there are things that are non-negotiable. There are things that are essential to our faith. In fact, our denomination, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, has a document that it calls the seven essentials, seven beliefs that we hold essential to who we are. If you want to see what those essentials are, we have a link for them in the guide. I encourage you to take a look at those. These are the type of things that we say are non-negotiable. And we will discuss and we will debate with those who disagree with us on these issues, with Christian charity and love, because that is who we are. But these are doctrines that we hold to as core to who we are. Hence the word essential. In our text today, Paul writes, he says, these things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. The scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. These things were written in scriptures. The things that Paul was referring to were an essential belief. These things that Paul was referring to was the reality that Christ had died for sinners. And so we're reminded that the Roman church and the essentials that Paul was talking about, those things were written in God's word. Our essential beliefs, we didn't just come up with them. They are grounded in scripture. And so I want you this week, this is your homework that I'm going to give to you. I want you to read the seven essentials of the EPC, but I want you to read them side by side with the book of Romans. Um, The book of Romans is a great place to start. It's where we see a lot of our essentials. And Martin Luther, he said of the book of Romans that every Christian should memorize the book of Romans word for word and line by line. I'm not going to ask you to do that. I'm just asking you to read it. So I want to encourage you to do that. But the matter of opinions that the Roman church were dividing over, they weren't essential issues. They were issues that were non-essential, things that were secondary to the gospel, matters of opinion. And I would venture to say that the majority of things that we disagree on and fight over in the church are probably secondary opinions or matters of opinion. Because the thing is that the essentials, there is not much to debate. Because there's a lot of clarity in scripture on these essential issues. If you are arguing against the Trinity, you are probably flirting with heresy. And so we know that there's not a lot of debate on them. It would be like arguing that the Golden State Warriors were not the best team in the NBA this year. It would be heresy, right? But on these matters of uh, secondary issues or matters of opinion, Scripture might not be as clear, or Scripture might not say anything at all. And so there is room for debate And there is room for different opinions. That's what we're talking about here. The two issues that the Roman church were dealing with had to do with food and Sabbath rules. Let me list a couple of the ones that we deal with in the 21st century today. We have the mode of baptism, age of baptism, method of community, communion, type of church government, old earth creation, young earth, views of hell, views of heaven, amillennialism, premillennialism, postmillennialism, Sabbath rules, women in ordination, charismatic gifts, styles of music for worship, or the shoulds, should Christians drink alcohol, wear jewelry, send their kids to public school, have plastic surgery, get tattoos, dance, listen to secular music, and there's the ones that really make us squirm a little bit. Issues like birth control, gun control, 
bioethics, capital punishment, participation in the military, civil disobedience, COVID, politics. Does anybody have a little bit of indigestion right now? Anybody need a Tums? Maybe we should start handing them out at the wood wall in the back. <laughs> I know that these are issues within our community at Chapel Hill because every single one of those issues that I just listed has been an email or a phone call or an appointment that I have had with a member of this community who was either seeking clarity on the issue or felt very strongly about something from that list. These are things that we are dealing with and disagreeing over in our community here at Chapel Hill. And the only one that I'm going to come out strong on this morning is my view on tattoos, uh, because I literally wear it on my sleeve. And so that is the only one that I will come out strong on, just because I can't really avoid it. I guess women in ministry, I can't really avoid that one either. So those are my two this morning. It's okay to have opinions on these things. I have opinions on all these things. And I come to those opinions because of my personal convictions. I come to those opinions because I've studied scripture and that's what scripture tells me to believe. I hope that you come to your convictions in the same way. And I bet that we disagree on some of these issues. If we had an extra week to look at Romans 14, we'd see that Paul says that for the church at Rome, the problem wasn't that they had differing opinions on secondary issues. It was that they were letting these issues divide them. They were fighting over them. He even tells them what his opinion was on one of these issues. And then this is so beautiful. He tells them his opinion, and then he doesn't argue that everyone agree with him. I love that about Paul. That is such a beautiful picture of humility in leadership. And I confess that that has not always been how I have operated. I have a lot to learn from Paul. I repent to you as a leader in this church because there have been times where I've dug my heels in on issues there have been times when I haven't been gracious to those who disagree with me. And so I repent of that. And I tell you that God is still working on me. I am being formed by scripture every day. But it is permissible to have different opinions on secondary issues. We are allowed to disagree. Isn't that great news? So I want you to think back to that list that I read, or maybe it's a different issue to you. I want you to think about that thing that you feel so strongly about. And I actually want you to like, Hold it in your fist. I want you to do this with me right now. Hold it in your fist. Make that like super tight fist. And then I just want you to release it and realize that it is okay to disagree on issues that are secondary to the gospel. The theologian N.T. Wright wrote, we have to tell the difference between the differences that make a difference and the differences that don't make a difference. When we know what is essential, we know what makes a difference, and we know what doesn't. And we are able to reframe our perspective through the lens of the gospel. We are able to cling to what is essential about our faith. Our acceptance of one another, it is based on gospel work. Let's look back at our text. Paul says, therefore, accept one another just as Christ has accepted you so that you, so that God will be given glory. We are able to accept one another because Christ first 
accepted us. Last month, a group of us went to General Assembly. It's the national gathering of EPC pastors and elders. And I was on a committee discussing how our denomination should respond to the issue and topic of race in America. There are a lot of opinions on this very important issue. And there was a lot of discussion in the room on what the appropriate response would look like. There were times when it felt pretty heated in the room. And in a moment that felt particularly divisive, a pastor, George Robertson, he's a well-known and well-respected and beloved pastor of a large historic church in the South. He stood up in the midst of this heated discussion at a pretty divisive moment, and he confessed that there have been times that he had been part of the division on the issue. And then he said that the beauty of the gospel was that he was once an enemy of God. And through the work of Jesus, his estrangement to God had ended. His division with God had ended. He was now at peace with God. And then he went on to say it was because of this work that Jesus had done that he was now able to move towards people that he used to consider enemies. And it's because of this work of Jesus that people who are supposed to be enemies, people who are supposed to hate each other, become not just friends, but they become brothers. And he said, and in this, we bring glory to God. Theologian D.A. Carson writes that Christians, we're a natural band. We're a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. A band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. In our text today, the groups that were disagreeing over food and Sabbath, they were groups that never should have been in the same room together. Because first century Gentiles and Jews, at best, they would have tolerated each other's existence. The fault lines between these two groups, they ran deep. They were social, they were political, they were cultural, religious, economic, ethical, and ethnic. But now, because of the work of Jesus in this community, these opposing groups found themselves sitting at the same table, part of the same family in Jesus. And this was only possible because of the work of Jesus. You see, when Jesus moved towards us, when Jesus became flesh, when he lived that obedient life, when Jesus died for us while we were still sinners, this is all stuff that Paul lines out in those first 11 chapters of Romans. When Jesus moved towards us, we made peace with God through the work of Jesus. We are accepted, we're received, we're welcomed, we're loved, we're embraced by God. And it's because that Jesus moved towards us that we are able to move towards those we disagree with. We're able to accept them, receive them, welcome them, embrace them, and love them as family. And in that moving towards one another, accepting one another, embracing one another, we bring glory to God. I find it interesting that the text says, then all of you can join together with one voice. It's almost like if we don't move towards each other, if we don't come around this table, it might stop us from bringing glory to God. It's so important that we pursue this unity together. And it also shows that the text assumes that the church is full of people who are different from each other. 
the one voice of the church, the unity in the church, the voice that cries out in praise together giving to glory to God. Listen to what Paul says. He says, then all of you can join together with one voice giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to imagine what that would look like. A room full of people who don't talk alike or dress alike or look alike. People from a variety of political, socioeconomic, ethnic, geographic backgrounds. People who would never be at the same table, never drawn together, coming together with one voice in praise, bringing glory to God. Joey and I had the opportunity to live this when we lived in Afghanistan. One of the most incredible parts of our time in Afghanistan was being a part of the expatriate church. It was a group of people from around the world who all lived in Afghanistan and loved Jesus. In fact, we have friends visiting us this weekend from Switzerland who we lived with in Afghanistan. It's been such a treat to have them with us. But I remember one night sitting at a table having dinner, and I looked around the table, and there was a free will Methodist, there was a Reformed Baptist, there was a Mennonite from Ohio who had just converted from being Amish, there were Pentecostals from Brazil, there was a Presbyterian sitting at the table, and we were all gathered around the table talking about the Bible. We were talking about how we love Jesus. We were praying together, worshiping together. We were family. We certainly had things that we disagreed on. We had a lot of things that we disagreed on, but those things didn't divide us. Instead, we were united by Jesus. There were times then I, that I thought that this was just me, but last night I sat around the dinner table with two friends that lived in Afghanistan with us, and we were all talking about how we've never felt that unity again. It was such a special moment that although we were so different, we sat together and we were united through Jesus. We welcomed and we received one another. We accepted one another. We loved one another. I think that it was because it was all we had. It was all we had. We didn't have time to disagree on things. We didn't have time to be divided. Instead, we had to come together. You know, the saying goes that like attracts like. But in the body of Christ, Jesus is the one who attracts all people together. He brings us all together. And so, brothers and sisters, my challenge to you today is that you would seek out people in the church who disagree with you. They're out there, I promise. If you don't know anyone who disagrees with you, maybe you need to start a few more conversations, or maybe you need to get out a little bit more. I want you to pursue people in the church that you know disagree with you. I want you to invite them over to dinner. I want you to really live out that welcoming them into your family, accepting, receiving life. Or maybe you want to invite them into your life group. Maybe you want to just go out to coffee with them. I was thinking of a time when I had somebody that I disagreed with on a certain issue, and we were actually working on a project having to do with that issue, and I realized I needed to sit down and just have coffee with him and chat with him and get to know him a little bit more. And we became friends through it. So move towards each other. And this is going to be a tough one. I don't want you to try to win them over. I don't want you to try to argue them to your opinion. Remember, Paul said that there is room for disagreement. He allowed people to disagree with him on the issue that he was talking about. And there is certainly room for disagreement here at Chapel Hill. Instead, when the disagreement comes up, when it starts to feel heated, I want you to say, we disagree on this issue, but we agree on the issue that is most important to me. And that is 
that Christ died for sinners. Join together on those essential things. Rally around the things that unite instead of what divides. Because in that we get to bring glory to God. I know that this is hard, hard, hard work. And Paul knew that too. He included a prayer for the Roman church in the end of his letter. In Romans 15, 13, he intercedes for the church at Rome. And he says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, I want to end our time together praying that for you. I want to pray that you would have that same spirit that Paul called the Roman church to. And so would you join me now in prayer? Father, we do pray that you would be the source of our hope. We pray that we wouldn't be distracted by the things of this world, but instead that we would have our eyes fixed on you. We pray that we would be filled anew with your Holy Spirit, who brings us peace, that the Holy Spirit would fill us with your joy. We pray that we would put our trust in you. Father, may we move away from the things that divide and instead come around the things that unite. We pray that we would overflow with the confident hope that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit and that we would be able to confidently move towards our brothers and sisters, that in Jesus Christ we would be one family lifting one voice together in praise of you, our Heavenly Father. And we pray all these things in the name of our Savior, your Son, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10.30. We hope to see you there. To learn more about our upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org. Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and God's people said, Amen.